السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Can someone please just give me a quick uh, sound check? Quick mic check, make sure that it's working, inshallah, then uh, we can start. Uh, and also, whilst also whilst um, I'm waiting for like someone just to get back to me with the sound, uh, just a quick pointer um, for today's lesson. It would be good to have a mushaf with you. It would be good to have like a Quran open with you or, or at least nearby. So if you want to look at some of this stuff with you because we're going to go through something which will require a certain level of, um, you know, like being able to see and so on. And so we're going to be doing this lesson slightly differently uh, in terms of what we have, uh, what we would usually do. And um, we're going to try something new or different, at least for us um, at QP. We don't normally do it like this. So... That's one of the reasons why we started a couple of minutes late. We just had some technical issues as we as we usually have uh, when, when we try to do this kind of thing. Just give me one second, please. Just one second. Okay. So, Bismillah, Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Wala Aqibatu Lil Muttaqeen, Wala Adwana Illa Ala Al-Zalimeen. وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So welcome to today's uh, QP special which uh, is slightly different than what was advertised um, We had a slight change which I uh, was posted on the, the QP chat groups on Telegram but just in case you missed it, um, we've changed the title and and the subject or the theme of today's lesson slightly. So uh, the original idea was that today's lesson was going to be something which I've touched upon before for those of you that are regular QP attendees. And that is the different sciences of Quranic reading and how they kind of interrelate with one another. How they, the Salaf when they would study Quran, they would usually study a number of sciences together at once. And that gave them a, a mastery over the Qur'an in terms of its reading and recitation and memorization. That's something which is lacking greatly in our time. Um, and many of those sciences that are going to be, uh, that, are, that we're going to be covering within that special, within that QP special, those six sciences, uh, the majority of them I'd already done a special about. So I've taken each one of them and spoken about in some length. And we've kind of gone through so that we just have an overview. Uh, some of this stuff was done a couple of years ago, some of those some of those sciences we spoke about, and some of them more recently. But then I realized today that there was actually two sciences that we had yet to uh, speak about. And without really going into those two sciences, I think the special of the six sciences and how they work together would have been somewhat lacking. And so what I did is I changed uh, today's lesson to Quranic script. And inshallah ta'ala, next week then we will do those uh, that are the special of the six sciences and how they work together, how they kind of interrelate with one another. So, in today's lesson, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to be looking at a science that is known as the science of ilm al-rasm uh, and dabd. Mainly ilm al-rasm, but ilm al-rasm and dabd, uh, if you like. Ilm al-rasm and ilm al-dabd are essentially the two sciences uh, of the Qur'an that speak about the uh, that speak about the script of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, uh, just so that we can understand what, what each one is, 
um, sorry, just one second, just so that we can understand what each one is. Ilm uh, al-Rasm and Ilm al-Dabt are two sciences, uh, each one slightly distinct uh, from the other. And we're both talking, we're talking about Quranic script here. So when we read the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Quran, the words that you see on, in the Mus'haf on the page, that's essentially what we're going to be speaking about in terms of the script, the writing of the words of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, there are two sciences here. We're going to primarily focus on one over the other because A is going to take too long uh, to go through both of them in, in, in sufficient detail. Uh, and rather than just adding on another special, another special, I thought that the second one, which is Ilm al-Dabt, is slightly less important in the sense, I mean, it's still very interesting, and hopefully, inshallah ta'ala, on, on, on one occasion or another, we will go through that uh, as a special, we'll, we'll give it some time and focus, it's due right, inshallah ta'ala. But for our purposes, you know, just to make things easier and, and to make things slightly, uh, you know, slightly just like speed things up, we're going to mainly be focusing on Ilm al-Rasm, Ilm al-Rasm. So just so that we understand the difference between the two, uh, and I hope this works, uh, let me just switch the view. So what we're going to be trying to do, inshallah ta'ala, today is I'm going to try to make this as interactive because ilm al-rasm, ilm al-dabt, and even next week's special, it's a science that requires us to be able to see the Qur'an together. Uh, ideally, we do this in person. And also for me to be able to write or highlight and to see certain things. So let's see if this is something which we can, uh, which we can inshallah ta'ala, do today. So, um, if I was to, for example, give you, uh, just as an example, and you're going to have to excuse me here for my, my uh, Arabic handwriting because I'm trying to use this on an iPad, which isn't the easiest thing for me to, uh, to use. But just so that we understand, if we were to take, for example, the first verse of Surah, Fatiha, right? What I have just written there is basically what we would call Ilm al-Rasm. This is called Ilm al-Rasm. Ilm al-Rasm is basically the science of the script. The script means the form of the words, the form of the words, the shape, the pattern of the words. This is Ilm al-Rasm. So in, another, in other words, if you were to take the verses of the Quran, remove from them all of the dots, all of the, the vowels, the fatha, dhamma, kasras, everything else, take everything away and you just literally have the form of the words together, that is called ilm al-rasm. That is called ilm al-rasm. Ilm al-dabt is then everything else that we see in terms of the diatrical marks. So the fathas, the dhammas, the shaddas, the alif al-khanjariyas, the dots, Right for for example the noon and the wow and the ba and all of these things that is essentially called ilm al-dabt. So the green is called ilm al-rasm, the red is called ilm al-dabt. These are two different sciences, two different sciences. And so the scholars have works that they did for uh, that they concentrated on when it came to ilm al-rasm, and they have works and books that they authored when it came to ilm al-dabt. These are two distinct sciences, two distinct sciences, and it's important to understand that distinction for the reason that I'm going to mention uh, shortly. So when we spoke about um, the, the, one of the, the one of the primary and I've, I've touched upon this slightly before as well, but one of the major differences between the two is that ilm al-rasm, which is essentially the green part, right, the green writing, ilm al-rasm is a science that is tawqifi. Tawqifi means that it is restricted to textual or to transmission. It is restricted by transmission, meaning that these words 
the 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 Imr Rasim, the, the science of the Quranic script is something which was recorded and done from the time of the Prophet and then passed down from generation to generation to generation. And therefore, it's not allowed for me to come, for example, and write the Quran in my own way. And we're going to go into, uh, you know, into this into a bit more detail today because one of the things that we will see is that it's different to, for example, the way that we would write uh, normal Arabic today. So the way that people write Arabic today is different in some ways to the Quranic script that you find in the Quran. And that is why people who aren't uh, you know, particularly uh, familiar with Arabic and they're not really native Arabic speakers or readers or they haven't gone through a program where they have a good teacher that can teach them this, they actually struggle to find or, or to read the Arabic script of the Quran, the way that it's meant to be the, 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 the script that you are actually meant to have with the Quran, they find it very difficult to read. And that is why you have these other scripts like the Indo-Pak script, for example, and some of the scripts that you find in some of the Muslim countries in, in Far East Asia and so on. Sometimes though, those scripts of the Quran are incorrect because they didn't follow the rules of Ilm al-Rasm. And so people came and, and you know, inshallah ta'ala, with good intentions, they came and they thought, look, this is too difficult for our people. They're struggling to read the Quran. So let us make it easier for them. And so they started to add things and move things and change things. And by doing so, they broke one of the uh, major issues or one of the major rules that we have of Ilm al-Rasm, and that is that it is tawqifi. And so these, the script that you have today, for example, if you were to pick up the Quran, for example, the, 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 the widely printed Quran from Medina, the Saudi uh, printed, printed Quran that they have in Medina, this script isn't just someone who came together or someone who sat down and decided that they're just simply going to write the Quran out. There are books that the scholars of old from hundreds and hundreds of years ago, like people like Abu Amr al-Dani and even before him, they had books on this particular issue. In fact, all the way to the times of the likes of Imam uh, Abu Dawood, the famous uh, scholar of Hadith, the author of the Sunan, and his generation and the ones that came before him, they wrote books on Quranic script. And so that's something which is extremely important for us to remember and therefore to understand as well. So uh, we're going to be switching back and forth in, in terms of the view. Um, and I apologize if there's some flickering on the screen. Uh, I don't really know. That was one of the technical issues that we had, so I'm not quite sure uh, what's happening with that there. But anyway, in terms of Ilm al-Rasm, therefore, it is a science that is something which is tawqifi. The ilm al-dabt, which is essentially the other science, which is the diacritical marks, the vowels, the dots below letters, uh, above letters and so on, that is ijtihadi. That's something which you don't find, uh, you know, books that were written on, or, or those markings necessarily weren't found in the time of the writing of the Qur'an initially in the time of the Prophet Wasallam and the companions. It's something which developed later on to make it easier for people to be able to read Arabic and to read the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that's the difference between the two. The major difference is Ilm al-Rasim is tawqifi, it's restricted, whereas Ilm al-Dabt is more open. It's allowed for people to come and kind of use their best efforts in terms of uh, determining what is the best way of doing those vowels and those markings of the Quran and that is why you will find differences in this issue when it comes to uh, when it comes to this and we will speak about uh, more about this inshallah ta'ala in next week's special so when it comes to Ilm al-Rasim um, there are three major books that the scholars use three major books in our time that the scholars use um, and these aren't the earliest books there were books that came earlier but these are the three that kind of came and they, they are the ones that are considered to be the golden standard when it comes to these uh, this particular science. The first of them is a book by the famous Imam Abu Amr al-Dani. And for those of you that are regular students of QP, 
this uh, scholar, this name should be very familiar to you by now. Abu Amr al-Dani rahimahullah ta'ala is one of the major imams of the Qur'an in terms of the qira'at and in terms of the reading. He has books on Abdul Ay, he has books on, 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 the, on, on the script, he has books on qira'at, he has books on pretty much every single uh, single science regarding the or related to uh, Quranic reading. The second Imam whose book is also who is considered to be an authority in this particular science is his student, the student of Abu Amr al-Dani and his name was Abu Dawood Sulaiman ibn Najah. Now often when you read the books of Qira'at for example or you're reading the books of for example Ar-Rasm, Quranic script or the books of Abdul Ay, the numbering of the verses of the Quran, you will often find people saying or the author saying or people referring to Abu Dawood and they refer to him as Abu Dawood and sometimes people make the mistake of thinking that they're referring to Abu Dawood the author of the Sunan the book of Hadith but that's a different Abu Dawood and he has a book also in, 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 in Musahif in one of the earliest books concerning the Mus'haf the Quran is actually one of his books however he's not considered to be an expert when it comes to these types of issues or if even if he was an expert he didn't author in these particular sciences the Abu Dawood that we're speaking about when it comes to Qira'at, when it comes to Ar-Rasm, script and these types of sciences is the student of Abu Amr al-Dani and his name was Sulaiman ibn Najah rahimahullah ta'ala. And the third Imam who is considered to be the one of the leaders of this science is Abu al-Qasim al-Shatibi, the famous Imam al-Shatibi rahimahullah ta'ala. He also has a book uh, on this particular topic. Okay. One of the things that we have to understand is when it comes to Ilm al-Rasm, in the time of the Prophet wasallam, the Arabs, uh, especially in Mecca, were generally illiterate, as we know. So the general norm amongst the Arabs was that they were an illiterate nation. Not many of them were able to read or write, not many of them were educated in that way. And it wasn't something which was very common. In fact, in some, um, you know, according to some books of, of history and so on, uh, it, is, it is said, and Allah knows best, but it is said, that in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, when he came out in Mecca, amongst the whole of Mecca, whether they were Muslims or non-Muslims, amongst the people of Mecca in general, there were only about 14, 14, one, four people that were known to be able to write. They were prolific writers. And these were the people that were known amongst Quraysh, that these are the people that can write. So from amongst them were, for example, Ali radiallahu an, and Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu an, and Talha radiallahu an, and then Abu Sufyan, the leader of Quraysh, uh, who later on become a Muslim, and his son Muawiyah, Ibn Abi Sufyan. And then there were a number of others. Fourteen odd people are considered to be the people that really understood how to read and write. They were the people who knew how to write Arabic. Uh, then when the Prophet وسلم, was sent with Islam, one of the things that the Prophet ﷺ did was encourage writing amongst the companions that they learned to write. So from amongst them, there were those people who would later on go on to become the scribes of revelation. As we know, they would write down the Qur'an and they would write down the revelation as it, was, as, as it came to the Prophet ﷺ. But even more widely, the Prophet ﷺ, especially amongst the youngsters, he would encourage them to learn writing. So it is said, for example, as is mentioned in the Tabaqat of Ibn Sa'd, in the Battle of Badr, when they had, as we know, the Muslims were victorious, they have a number of uh, prisoners of war. Those prisoners of war that couldn't afford the ransom to buy their freedom, one of the ways that they were able to purchase to ransom themselves and to escape captivity and go back to Mecca is that they had to teach the youngsters of Medina how to write. Because the Quraysh generally were people who 
uh, were, were better able to write by that point and there were a number of them that were captured that were known to be prolific writers they had the ability to read and write and so the Prophet and the companions said to them look if you teach 10, 15 of our youngsters how to write that's your ransom paid and you can go back and so it became something more and more common and then obviously it continues uh, from that point onwards and obviously as we know as the generations continue uh, and as time continues it will be uh, something which is very common and very normal for people to be able to write amongst the Muslims. In the time of the Prophet وسلم, it is said that there were only like some 30 or 40 companions that used to write down revelation. 30 or 40 that were known for the writing down of revelation from them are the famous companions, the four Khulafa, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali radiallahu anhum. And from them are those companions that we would expect to be uh, in, in, in that grouping, such as Zayd ibn Thabit and Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu anhuma and Muawiyah, the son of Abu Sufyan radiallahu anhuma, because when he became Muslim after the conquest of Mecca, he became one of the scribes of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But if you go back to the books of, uh, the early books of Quran, writing and so on, uh, it is it is it is the names that are mentioned generally are around the 30 or 40 marker and there is difference of opinion amongst some of those scholars concerning those exact people the arabs when they would write so as we know the arabs generally therefore were not a were not a nation of writers but they were a nation of eloquent speakers they had the ability to memorize they were prolific in memorization prolific in being able to speak eloquently without the use of notes and so we know from historical accounts that the Arabs, even the Bedouins, would be able to come out and spout poetry and have verses and verses and verses of extremely eloquent poetry just from their heads, from their memory, without having to write it down, without having to scribble and write it. They just come out and they have that natural ability to speak in poetry or to, uh, to recite in poetry. So the Arabs, when they would write in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they wrote in the way that I just showed you. So if, for example, you had the verse, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, you pick up the Quran, open it up onto page one, and look at Surah Fatiha. Imagine Surah Fatiha without any fathas, any dhammas, any dots, anything. It is simply the form of the word. Simply the form of the word. Now from that form of the word, if you're someone who's familiar with the Arabic language and its alphabet, you would know that that's most likely to be a ra. Some of those letters are easier. An alif, a ra, a a for example, um, a lamb. You know, some of these these letters are easier to understand, but some of them are difficult. How do you know if it's a ba or a ya or a noon or a ta? Because all of them have the same form in terms of the same shape in the script, but the way that we distinguish them now is the dots, whether they're two above or two below or one above or one below. That tells us what it is in terms of is it a ba or a ta or a tha or a ya or a noon? What is it exactly? A seen or a sheen? A ra or a zai? A, a, a ta or a dha? The Arabs though had this ability because of their eloquence and their mastery of their language that they could read and they would just simply know what it was because no other word would make sense there. No other word would make sense there. And where there was more than one possibility that is why, for example, we have, and this is one of the ways that you know these sciences are connected. For example, that is one of the ways that we would have qiraat. So, for example, the word maliki, right? Maliki, and we will show this inshallah ta'ala as we as we go on in today's lesson. Maliki can be maliki or maliki. The way that it's written allows for both of them. The Arab would come and they would read some of them in this way and some of them in those way, and that's why both of them are mutawatir qiraat, as we know. 
So this was the way that the Arabs wrote in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, in the time of the companions As the Muslim empire then began to expand, and there is a difference of opinion in terms of historical accounts as to exactly who and when uh, this was realized that it's becoming problematic as the Muslim empire is expanding, just as Uthman has to gather the Mus'haf and have the, the uh, have everyone stick to the Mus'haf that he, that he sent to everyone because they were differing over the recitation of the Qur'an and how to read the Qur'an and, and they didn't know what was correct from what was incorrect because a lot of them were new Muslims, a lot of them were non-Arabs. Then likewise, after some time, after Uthman radiallahu another 50, 60, 70 odd years after his death radiallahu they we come to a period of time in early Muslim history where now they have an added problem. And that is that even though everyone's reading from the Mus'haf of Uthman and the one he sent out across the Muslim empire, they're having difficulty reading it because likewise, they don't know the difference between the Ya or the Noon or the Ba or the Tha. And so some people are coming and they're reading the Quran completely wrong. They're just completely mashing up the Quran. Like today, sometimes when you have people that can't really read the Quran, they didn't really go through a process of reading the Quran and they're very diff- if they find it very difficult, sometimes they're reading a word and they read it completely incorrectly. It's all written there, the dots are there, the vowels are there, but they just don't have the ability to read it because they haven't practiced and they haven't been through a system of reading and learning how to read the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine if you had no dots, imagine you had no fatha, no dhamma, no kasra, no vowels, no mads, no shaddas, nothing. And so those people found it extremely difficult. It is said that this was in the time of the Umayyad dynasty. It is said, according to some reports, that it was the governor Hajjaj, the famous governor of the Umayyads, Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al-Thaqafi. He's the one who first realized this. And he's the one who then said to the scholars of his time, this can't be going on because he came across people who were reading the Quran and they were literally butchering the reading of the Quran. So he said to them, this can't continue because if it does, then the Quran is going to be lost. It's not an issue of preservation of the Qur'an. People just don't know how to read anymore. And so you need to find ways for them to be able to read the Qur'an. It is said, so what they first did, the first stage of this then, was that they came up with the dot system. So that you can tell the difference between a ya and a noon, and a ta and a tha. And even if you look today at modern Arabic writing, so if you were to pick up most books, like an Arabic book and just open it, they don't have the fatha kasra dhammas. They just simply have the dots and so on, and they don't really go through the whole vowel system in normal Arabic books, other than the Quran, other than the books of Hadith and so on. If you were just to pick up a book of, I don't know, uh, tafsir or, or seerah or whatever it is, they don't necessarily have anything more. Because an Arab, generally speaking, if he studied a good level of Arabic grammar and he has a good uh, general proficiency and mastery of the Arabic language, will be able to read and make sense of Arabic just simply by having it in that way. For a non-Arab, for most of us, we don't understand how someone can read Arabic if there's no fatha, dhamma, kasra on the page. If there's no shadda or mad or anything else, we're like, how is this even possible? And that's obviously because we're non-Arabs and it's not something which we would be familiar with. So the first thing they came up with was with the dots and, and all of those things that allow people to differentiate between the different letters of the Arabic language. And then later on, after a number of years, they decided that even that wasn't enough. And so that's when you find all of these other diacritical markings coming in, and that is what we call ilmudabt, the fathas, the dhammas, the kasras, the dots, all of these things that you find when you look at the Qur'an, all of these things above and below all of these words of the Qur'an, all of that is ilmudabt. All of that is ilmudabt when it comes to those wordings or those words of the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's rasm and that is dabt. 
when it comes to rasm, as we said, it is something which is tawqifi, it is restricted by, by, uh, by evidence um, or, or restricted by transmission. Uh, you will find scholars who came later on and said, no, actually it's not restricted and so on. But this is, this is uh, a weak position. The position amongst the Salaf, uh, if you go through all of their works and you go through all of their statements and so on, pretty much unanimously, and a number of the scholars even said there is ijma' upon this issue, is that it is not allowed for a person to change the script of the Qur'an to add or to decrease, which essentially means, therefore, it is restricted. That's essentially what it means. For example, Imam Malik ta'ala, was asked, is it allowed, allowed for someone in his time? So Imam Malik is in the first couple of centuries of Islam. He was asked in his time, is it allowed for someone to write the Qur'an in the way that modern Arabic is, is written? Of his time, not in our time today, of his time, over 1,200 years ago or some 1,200 years ago. He said no. He said the way that the Qur'an should be written is the way that the predecessors wrote it, meaning from the time of the companions and in some of the narrations, Imam Malik was extremely stern when he came to this issue. He said, don't even change the wow to the alif or the alif to the wow. Don't do anything. Leave it exactly as the way that it is. And that is the statement of also that is mentioned of Imam Ahmad ta'ala, that he said that it's not allowed, it is haram to change the script that was given by the time of Uthman even to change a wow or a ya or an alif, he said. Even to change a single letter is something which is not allowed. And Imam al-Bayhaqi, rahimahullah ta'ala, the Shu'ab al-Iman, and many of the other scholars who then came after them, they also mentioned similar statements. And so that's the position generally, that it's not allowed for you to do something like that. So when it comes to the Arabic uh, script, therefore, the script of the Qur'an uh, is based upon... Uh, so the Arabs, as we said in, in, in the early times, they didn't have all of these markings. They don't have the fatha, they don't have the dhamma, they don't have any of these issues. What do they have? They have literally the forming of the word, the form of the word. One of the major uh, points or one of the major, if you like, principles of a rasm, and we're speaking primarily here of the, of the Quranic script. Right? I'm not speaking about, for example, modern Arabic, because modern Arabic has changed now and the way that it's written and so on is somewhat different. But when it came to that time, so remember this is a time when there's no dots on the words, there's no markings in terms of the fatha dhamma, no vowels, nothing. It is simply the form of the word. Like I gave the example for you from the first verse of Surah Al-Fatiha, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. One of the major aspects of rasm, therefore, is to give people the ability to envisage, to give them almost an image, an image of what that word would be. An image of what that word would be. Essentially, like for example, hieroglyphics. Hieroglyphics are what? Images that then we later realized is the language that the way that they write those images represent certain things, certain words, and those words, when or those images, when you put together, make up a sentence, and so on and so forth. Arabic obviously isn't like hieroglyphics in that sense, but one of the things that you find is Arabic also at that time had a general uh, image that is given to it. And that is why certain words are written in a certain way. And we will give examples of this, inshallah ta'ala, as we go on. There are six major principles. And by the way, one of the best books on, on, on Ilm al-Rasim, so I gave you like the three major books of the past. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's uh, you know, that the, that the scholars who then came afterwards, they were dependent upon those works. But one of the best books of our time, uh, that I, or of recent times, is the book by Sheikh uh, al-Dabba, who is one of the major 
Qur'an, one of the major scholars of, of Qira'at and, and Qur'anic reading and so on. In Egypt, uh, he died a number of years ago, Rahimullah Ta'ala, I don't remember exactly when, but a number of decades ago. He has a book called Samirul Talibin, which is a very good book. Um, and much of what I've taken for you today is, is pretty much based on that book of his, Rahimullah Ta'ala, and it's considered to be a relatively easy uh, book when it comes to this, but also very comprehensive. There are six principles, therefore, that a Rasan or Quranic script is based upon. Number one is deletion. Number two is to add, addition. Number three is to exchange, al-badl, to change. Number four is when it comes to the hamzas. Hamzas. One of the things to remember in the Quran as a general principle is that every hamza, every hamza, right? So let me just uh, change back the view so that I can show you what a hamza is, right? So hamza being this, that small thing that you find on an alif or a ya or a wow, and it has a, a hamza, that hamza is from ilmu dabt always. It is from Ilm al-Dabt and not from Ilm al-Rasm. It is from the science of the dialectical markings. So the Arabic language doesn't have a Hamza. And that is why if you look at the word Amanu in the Quran, this is how it is written. Is, this is how it is written in the Quran. That is how it is written. Then what we have is essentially, to make it easy later on, they did this, right? And they added, you know, the fatha and the Dhamma and the Kasra and so on. That's what they did later on in order to make it easier for people to be able to, uh, to be able to uh, see this, see this, uh, sorry, apologies, see this, that they will be able to see this and be able to look at it. Okay. Um... So that's number four, the Hamza. Number five is Al-Fasl Wal-Wasl, which essentially means words that are merged and other words that are made distinct from one another. And number six is words that are written so that they can have or comprise of a number of Qira'at of the Qur'an. Those are the six principles when it comes to Ilm Rasim. And we're now going to give a number of examples with regards to that. So the first one is called Al-Hadth, essentially when you're removing something. So I just want to show you, um, you know, as, as I said before, uh, one of the major reasons, or one of the major things when it comes to the book, the, the, the Ilm al-Rasim is to have an, a, a, a mental picture, a picture, an image of what the word would be like. So this is a good example that we have here. We have a good example here that I just want to show to, to highlight this point. In this verse, which is verse number 47 of Surah Al-Dhariyat, the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَالسَّمَاءَ بَنَيْنَاهَا بِأَيْدٍ وَإِنَّا لَمُوسِعُونَ Allah Azza wa Jal says that we created the heavens. بِأَيْدٍ وَإِنَّا لَمُوسِعُونَ It is written or, or recited as بِأَيْدٍ بِأَيْدٍ As you can see there, the second ya has a circle on top which essentially means that it's ignored. You don't read it. So you read it with one ya. So therefore, uh, therefore, this word, right, this word, which is bi'aydin, this is how it should have been spelt. This is how it should have been spelt. 
Instead of the two ya's, it should have had one ya. Bi'aydin. But it's spelt in the Quran with two ya's. And as we said in that time, you know, there's no dots or anything. But it's known that these are two ya's. Why is it written that way? And there are different positions or different, uh, you know, different reasons that you will find amongst the scholars. But perhaps the best of those of those reasons, or one of the most strongest, or most likely, is to differentiate it from the other word, which actually is bi'aidin. Bi'aid here in this verse means with strength and power. Allah says that we we created the heavens with strength. The word bi'aidin can also be the plural of the word hand. Yad, its plural is aidin. So therefore, the Arabs, in order to be able to distinguish between two words which have two different meanings, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is he saying he's, he created the heavens with his hands or is he created, creating it with, with his power, with his strength, that the, the, the heavens were created with strength? It is with strength. And because that is the word that is being mentioned here, it is written with two yas in order to differentiate it. Now, if you didn't have any of the, you know, if you didn't have any of the uh, markings, you just literally had it like this, and that's what you see, how are you going to know what that is, right? You don't really know, or how do you know it's not going to? It's going to be one or the other. Is it aidin or be aidin? As in, is it the plural of hands or is it with strength and power? The Arabs used to write one one way and one the other way, right? Another example of this is the famous one, which is the name Umar and Amr. Amr. The Arabs in order to be able to differentiate between these two names. One is Umar, one is Amr. Both of them would be written and spelt with the Mim Ra. How do you know the difference for Amr? They added a Waw at the end. They added a Waw at the end. Even till today, that is how Amr is written. And so the way that you know the difference between Umar and Amr is the first one has no Waw, the second one has a Waw. This is essentially what the Arabs did. They essentially had therefore a type of imagery that they had within their script, and that is essentially how that works then uh, from that time onwards. So when it comes to the first example that we have, which is al-hadth, to delete something, right, or to remove something, the example that we have or that we can give here is in uh, in the verse in Surah, in the verse in Surah Al-Fatiha. So if you look at Surah Al-Fatiha, um, and we look at let me just highlight it. The first verse, or the second verse rather, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. In the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al-Alameen, this word here, Al-Alameen, what we find here is that the alif is missing. The way that this would normally be written in Arabic in our time would be that it would have, that it would have, Uh, let me just write it next to it. I don't know if, if you guys can see this or not. Or let me write it slightly below if I can. I will write it over here. So Al-Alameen would be written like this. Al-A-Lameen. That is how it is written 
generally in Arabic. But what the Quran does is that it takes away the alif. It takes away the alif. And instead what you have is hadf. It takes away the alif and instead what it gives to you is it gives to you what we call hadf. So it removes the alif and therefore you have al-alameen written in this way. And it often does this with the number of words like for example salihin, uh, mujahideen, right, hafidhun. All of these have an alif in it. And instead what the alif is done as part of ilm al-dabt for us, for our ability to be able to read it now, is you have that small little alif that is placed on top of the ayn to show that there is actually an elongation that takes place here. Al-alameen. Right? That is essentially what is done uh, with regards to that. Another example of this would be the word kafirin, right? Kafirin. So this time also in Surah Al-Baqarah, in, in verse number 19, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Wallahu muhitun bil kafirin. The kaf also has that alif that is placed therein in order for us to be able to, uh, to see it. Okay. So that's an example of that also. Another example as we as we move on, and I'm conscious of time as well, we have actually a lot to go through. Um, so I'm just going to, uh, you know, just, just, to, just to give you some of the general overlooks to show you that this is a whole science with a number of rules and a number of principles. In this verse here, which is also in Surah, Al, um, in Surah, Al, uh, Surah Al-Baqarah, but this time in, in verse number 114, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أُولَٰئِكَ مَا كَانَ لَهُمْ إِنْ يَدْخُلُوهَا if you look at this word khaifin, here the word has an alif. Here the word has an alif. And so alamin has no alif, but khaifin has an alif. And so there is a whole uh, you know there's a whole principle with regards to this. So if for example the ayn of the kalima, so if you look at the word, the root word of the Arabic language, which is fa'ala, fa'in lam, if the middle letter is a hamza. So the ayn letter, which is the middle letter, is a hamza. Then you have to put in the alif. Like for example, qa'ifin, qa'inun, lissa'inin. And often, because of the hamza in there, there is going to be a mad. So we read, illa qa'ifin, lissa'inin. There is also a mad that is added within to it as well. So it's not just as simple as, oh, you come to a word and if there's an alif, you just remove it. No. This is a whole science with, with a number of principles and a number of rules that you will find. And, and this is essentially why the scholars had so many books that were written on this particular uh, topic and on this particular issue as well. Um, so, another example of this where the alif is, is, is removed is this verse here which has a number of uh, examples in, in Surah Al-Tahreem verse number 5. If you look at the number of verses in this in this particular instance that has the alif removed, right? All of these, all of these. Look at how many alifs are removed. Muslimatin, Mu'minatin, Qanitatin, Ta'ibatin, Abidatin, Sa'ihatin, Thayyibatin, Abkara. Now imagine Imagine this was written in the time of the early Arabs. And it would literally be like this. Right? We're literally writing it like this. 
This is essentially how the Arabs would write it and they would be able to read it. And so it's amazing, it shows their mastery of the Arabic language and their ability to read it as well. One of the things that you will find, for example, also is if we look at, for example, the word uh, mu'minat, right, which I'll just highlight into a different color, mu'minat. The alif there, mu'min, is on a waw. And this will come under another one of the, uh, the principles of Arabic script where it allows for multiple qira'at to be read. So the waw, for example, if you're reading in the qira'ah of nafi'ah, nafi'ah warsh, for example, would read mu'minat. He would take off the hamza and he would read with the waw. So the script is something that he's still sticking to. The script of the Qur'an is the same, by the way, in all of the qira'at. So if you're reading in nafi' or you're reading in, in Asim, the one that we read in, or you're reading in Hamza or Abu Amr or Ibn Amir or any of the ten of the mutawatin qira'at, the script remains exactly the same. The script does not change. The script is essentially the same. Okay. The second principle, as we said, is where you have a ziyada, where they, there is an addition that's normally not needed. Right? There is an addition that is normally not needed. So here we have the example of uh, a word here in this example that you can see before you on the screen. And this is in Surah Al-Baqarah also, verse number 259. And the word that I want to highlight for you here is the word mi'a, which means a hundred. Right? The word mi'a. Now, mi'a here is written how? It's written, it should be written, right, like this. This is how it should be written. But it's written instead as ma'a, right, almost as if there is a mad on it, even though the mad is not red. The mad is not red. However, what you will see here is a number of things. Number one, is that this is also something which allows the qira'at to take place, right? And also, uh, because for example, the uh, some of the qura'at, like for example Abu Ja'far, he reads this verse as miyah, with a ya, right? So the hamza, he would remove, he would have two dots instead, and he would read that as miyah, right? That is essentially the reading of Abu Ja'far. But also because the word miyah, if it was written like this, like we said before, if it was written like this, Right, which is how it should be written, that could be a number of things. That could be the word minhu, it could be the word fi'ah, it could be a number of different words, because remember at the time of the Prophet the early Arabs, they don't have any dots, they don't have any fathadhammas and so on. So how do we know that's the word hundred mi'ah, and it's not the word, for example, fi'ah, which means a group. So they changed the reading, like Umar and Amr. So what they did is they added something, that will make it distinct. Again, going through that imagery, so an Arab that looks at that will know, ah, oh, that's going to be Mia, right? Because that is how we write the word Mia. And so therefore, because sometimes the context isn't very clear, it could be a group or it could be a hundred people. And so therefore it's something which isn't always uh, extremely clear. Another example of this that you will find is in this verse here. Um, in this verse here, uh, this is an example of adding a, a, a uh, so the first one was an example of adding an alif. This is the example of adding a ya. So here, for example, when we see min tilqa'i, min tilqa'i, right, min tilqa'i. So that's got like an alif, right, min tilqa'i. Another example of this in another word, 
would be ulaika. Right? So you can look at the word ulaika. Now one of the things that the Arabs also used to do in order to make things easy for them so that they would know which harakah it is, because this word, if you were to look at it, if you were to remove the wow and write it, this is how it would be written. And I'll put the dots in, uh, or actually we'll leave the dots because as the Arabs used to do. Now that word could be ilayka, right? Because it could be written like that. If you if you don't have the wow, it could be ilayka. How do we know that it's ulaik? They would put in the alif. Oh, sorry, the wow. The wow also is to show that the vowel that comes before it on the alif is a dhamma. The vowel that's going to come on before is a dhamma. Uh, the vowel that comes in before is a dhamma. Sorry, let me just make that more clear. The, the vowel that comes in before is a dhamma. And so therefore, the Arabs used to do this also. One of the things that the Arabs used to do is that the fatha goes with the alif, the dhamma goes with the waw, the kasra goes with the ya. So tilqa'i, you know it's going to be a kasra because the ya is there. Ula'ika is going to be a dhamma on the alif because of the waw that comes after it. So the waw is not red. These are ziyadat fil rasm or hadh fil rasm. So when you remove something or add something to the script, the reading remains the same. So when we say alamin, we don't say al-alamin, we don't say al-kha'ifin, we say it with the alif. Al-alamin, al-kha'ifin, but the script is all that changes. The script is that is changing. That's why we say that this is a tawqif, it is restricted because the Quran therefore has to be taken by you know, oral transmission has to be something which you take from a teacher in order to be able to read it correctly. Here we have an addition of the wow, but we don't say ulaika. You say ulaika, and some people make this mistake where they actually think that the wow has to be added, so they put a sukun in the wow and they say ulaika. You'll hear people reading like this ulaika. That's incorrect. It is ulaika, and so to understand, and this is why, you know, inshallah, when we come to next week's lesson of how these sciences connect together. One of the reasons why the scholars of old would teach it in this way is for that particular reason. They would teach it in this way so that people would understand that this wow is not there to be read. It's there because of the script and so on and so forth. And so that's one of the benefits of doing it in, in that way. Um, another thing that you will find, or, or, the, or the third, uh, let's go on to the third um, the third qa'ida now. The third qa'ida being the badal, where there is a change, right? Where there is an exchange. There is an exchange. For example, the, the letter should be a alif, for example, but instead it's written as a as a ya. So this example here in Surah uh, Al-Anfal, verse number 17, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ رَمَى وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ رَمَى Now the word rama if we were going to spell it just usually, like, you know, if we were just going to write it the way that we would think that it would be written, it would be written like this, with an alif. But instead, what we find is that it's written with the ya, ra, ma. Now, one of the benefits of this writing is, you know, and again, uh, you know, without going, to, without going into too much detail, but all of this also has to do with qiraat. And so if you have a, a, a decent understanding of Qiraat and a background in just generally how that science works as we did in one of the specials, you know, that would be something which is helpful, like the general rules of Qiraat. But for example, this would be beneficial for someone who's doing Qiraat in the recitations of Hamza, Kisai, 
and Khalaf al Ashir, this is read with an imala. So it is read, Walakinna Allaha Rame. Not Rama, Rame. And the imala is more like a ya sound than it is an alif sound. And so therefore, sometimes the qiraat, the script, allows for the different qiraat also to be included. And that is something which we also have to remember. Another example of this is the word riba the word riba So in this verse, in again in Surah Al-Baqarah, in verse number 276, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, yamhaqullahu riba Riba in the Quran in most places, and there are exceptions to this, by the way. So there are exceptions where you will find the word is written mostly in one way, then sometimes it comes with the uh, the, the other way. And that's something which, which, which uh, if you're studying with the teacher, he would go through with you and so on. But also one of the things that you will find, this is how we normally write riba, even today in, in, in Arabic language. But in the Quran, it is always written like this. It is always written like this. Um, one of the things that you will you will therefore find is the uh, this is also something which some of the scholars when they or some of the people when they read they read it with what we call an imala as well riba they call they read it in that way with an imala as well but there are exceptions so for example if you look in the Quran you will come across if you really pay attention on the way that this would normally be done uh, you know, if you have a teacher, for example, that you study the whole Quran with, you do a reading of the full Quran for ijazah from beginning to end, and he will stop you and he will show you these differences and say, look here, it's gone against the rule. Right? It's gone against the rule, and it is it is different to what is the norm. Another example, two of the most common uh, words of the Quran, or, or two very common words of the Quran, uh, words that we're, we're very familiar with and we come across a number of times, and that is these two words, in again that we see in Surah Al-Baqarah on this occasion, verse 277, the word salah and the word zakah. The word salah and the word zakah. The word salah and zakah, most of the times in the Quran, they are they are spelt with a waw. Salah isn't written the way that we would normally write Arabic in our time. So if, if we were going to write Arabic, we would write a salah like this. Right? Az-Zakah is like this. That is how we write as-Salah and as-Zakah now. However, in the Quran, you find that it's with a well. Right? And so this is another example of what we call a, a badal, what we call a badal. And again, you know, there's, there's different reasons for this and so on, but without, you know, we're kind of short on time and we still have a number of examples to go through. Um, one of the other ways that, that, that a change is manifested in the Quran in terms of the script, is when it is done to show, for example, the word Rahmah. Now the word Rahmah, if you were to write this in normal Arabic, this is how we write Rahmah today. This is how we write Rahmah. Whereas here, it is written as Rahmat, right, with a big ta. And that is to show, because there is a difference of opinion amongst the Qur'an, for example, the reading of Ibn Kathir, Abu Amr, Al-Kisai and others is that when you stop on this verse, you stop as Rahmah with a Ha. But if you were to read the way that we read in Hafs and you wanted to stop here, you would say Dhikru Rahmat and you would stop with the Ta. So to show that both of these are possible, it is written with the big Ta to show that that is something which is also possible in terms of the reading. right? And then again, this shows to you that this is something which is 
you know, which is something which you have to study with a teacher, something which requires a, a, a good level of, of study. Uh, another example of this would be, you know, where we have substitutions in letters, is the verse in Surah Al-Baqarah, Sirat. Sirat is read by some of the scholars or some of the Qurra, it is read with a scene. For example, the recitation of Qunbul, one of the narrators of Ibn Kathir, and Ruwais, one of the narrators of Ya'qub, they read it with the scene, Sirat al-Ladhina, Sirat al-Ladhina. However, it is always spelt in the Quran with a sad, which is the reading of the majority. This also, by the way, has a lot to do with the uh, with the issue of the um, dialects of the Quran or the, the seven ahruf of the Quran. But that's a whole another discussion, inshallah ta'ala, which we will leave for another time and place. Uh, we spoke about the Hamza. I already mentioned that the Hamza is something that you find uh, is something which is completely uh, you know, from al-mudabt. Coming on to the next, uh, the next one, which is al-qat'u wal-wasl. And this is essentially when two words are merged together. Two words that would normally be separate are, were, are, are, are merged together. So here we have an example in Surah uh, Al-Kahf, verse number 48, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, This is essentially two words. It is, an and len and they have been merged as al-len this is essentially script al-qat'u wal-wasl two words that were separate have been made into one word for example the word ha-ula'i ha-ula'i the word ha-ula'i is actually two words it is the ha by itself and then and that is why for those of you that do tajweed, uh, you'll know, for example, when it comes to the mad on the ha, it is something which is called munfasil. So you don't have to say ha-ula'i. You can make the ha of a two-haraka uh, two mad, ha-ula'i. Right? Ha-ula'i. And so that's something which can be done. And that's an example of what we call al-qat'u wal-wasl. It is something which two words can be merged together and sometimes words are separated from one another. So sometimes you will find in the Quran that the an is separated, for example, from the la. Right? Allah aqul, for example, in Surah Al-Araf. If you look at it, it's written as al-an by itself and then the lam alif by itself. So that's something which you will also also find within the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. Um, going on to our next example. And I'm, I just want to give you some examples of this because I think, you, you know, inshallah ta'ala, is something which you will see in the Qur'an and maybe it's something which you've come across and questioned before. And hopefully now this will give you some, uh, you know, some ability to understand how al-Rasm al-Quranic script works. This verse in Surah Al-Safat, verse number 130, Salamun ala il-yaseen. Salamun ala il-yaseen. Il-yaseen, is it one name or is it two names? Right? Is it one name or is it two names? If it is one name, right, which is the way that we read it, for example, in Hafs as one name, then surely it should have been written like this. Ilya Seen. Right? That's how you would write it if it's considered to be one name. But the Quran separates them as Il and Yasin. And that is because in the readings of Al-Nafi' and Ibn Amir and Yaqub, it is read as Salamun ala Ali Yasin. It is written as 
it is read as Al Yasin, the family of Yasin. Right? And obviously the scholars have some discussion as to who that is. Is it Ilyas or is it someone else? Uh, there is a discussion that inshallah ta'ala when we come to this surah in our tafsir, we will speak about inshallah ta'ala. Another example of this and perhaps you know a famous one or more easier one to understand and this is essentially the uh, you know the issue of of, of um, you know coming on to the last of those six qawaid, those six principles of Quranic script and that is when a qira'ah contains or allows for a person to have more than a single or the, the script allows for more than one qira'ah to take place. So Ilyasin is spelled that way or written that way so that it allows for those multiple qiraat. You can read it as Il Yasin or Ali Yasin. Here, for example, in Surah Al Fatiha, the famous example of Maliki Yomiddin, as we see, it is spelt or written without the alif. And that is to allow for, as we know, the difference in qiraat. So, for example, we would read Maliki Yomiddin, which is the reading of Asim al Kisa and Yaqub al Khalaf. But others, for example, like Nafi' and Ibn Kathir and Abu Amr, they would read this as Maliki Yawmiddin, right? Maliki Yawmiddin. Another example of this also from Surah Al-Baqarah on the next page, page number nine, is the word, sorry, the second word, وَمَا يَخْدَعُونَ وَمَا يَخْدَعُونَ So Allah Azza wa Jalla says, يُخَادِعُونَ اللَّهَ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَمَا يَخْدَعُونَ This is read by Nafi ibn Kathir Abu Amr as يُخَادِعُونَ same way as it is at the beginning of the verse. And so therefore the script allows for both to take place. If you have it with the alif, then that takes out the reading that we have. And so sometimes the script allows for more than one reading to take place. And so sometimes it is written in that way for that particular reason as well. Another example of this, uh, these two names, Jibreel and Mikal, Surah Al-Baqarah verse number 98. We'll take the example of of um, Mikal because it's slightly easier than the other one. So when it comes to this name of this angel Mikal, the reading that we read with, which is also the reading of of uh, of Abu Amr and Yaqub, is that we say Mikal. But Nafi and Abu Ja'far, they read it as Mikail. Right? So essentially going to the script, I'm writing it as, as normal Arabic now, but if we were to stick to the uh, stick to the uh, Quranic script, for us we just have a simple alif that is placed there. For Nafi' and uh, Abu Ja'far and others, what they would simply have is they have the same script because remember the script never changes but all they will have now is a small Hamza. Remember what we said, the Hamza is what? It is from Ilm al and then others will read this name as Mika'il with a ya as well. And so again, that would be spelt the same, but all you will have is the small Hamza and then the two dots as well. So the form, the script always remains the same. What is changing between the different Qiraat? If you had, if you had a Mus'haf, a Quran in Warsh, one in, for example, a Susi, one in, for example, the re reading of Hamza, you would find these differences in it in terms of in terms of the reading it is the differences will be in the dubbed but in terms of the actual reading or the actual uh, wording it is pretty much one and the same in terms of the script the only exception to that when it comes to the wording where sometimes you will find a difference is the example that we will have which is the final example that i have 
for today and that is verse number 132 of Surah Al-Baqarah. At the beginning of the verse in this statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَوَصَّى بِهَا إِبْرَاهِيمُ بَنِيهِ وَيَعْقُوبِ In the reading of Nafi' and of Ibn Amir and others, the reading is, if I can get this to work, what's going on here? The reading is right? So the reading of Nafi' ibn Amir, Abu Ja'far and others is they read it wa So what would happen there is that the alif is added in. Right? The alif is added in. So we have wa and we have wa Wa and we have wa so therefore, the way that it's normally written, which is wa wasa, the the script remains the same. Remember what we said; it is the hamza here, which is considered to be from a different from the ilm al-dabt. That is what is added there, and therefore you have wa awsa. And that is essentially basically how ilm al-rasm works. So ilm al-rasm, therefore, uh, you know, just to kind of wrap up, and I apologize for going slightly over time. Uh, but I wanted us to understand this, so inshallah ta'ala, when we come to next week's special, we'll have at least an appreciation of, of what it is that it's referring to. This is a, a science that is extremely important. It's one that is often neglected as well. Um, and it is something which is amazing because there are many exceptions that you will find and many variances which show to you that this is something which the scholars took from their teachers, who took it from their teachers all the way back to the time of the companions radiallahu anhu ajma'een, because otherwise you would say, why is there an exception here? Why is this word written like this and the other one not written like that? This is something which you will, uh, you know, you may ask, but it's something which you will find answers to if you study the science in more detail. For our purposes, just to kind of give us an appreciation of a science that most people don't even really know exists. Most people think that the science of, of Quranic script refers to how beautiful you can write it and how elegant the writing is, the handwriting. That's not actually anything to do with ilm al-rasim. That's just someone's ability to write very nicely, like you would write in any language. What we're speaking about here are the principles that govern the actual script of the Quran in terms of what you can have and what you can't have, and the way that the Book of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala should be written at all times. So, uh, unless there's, if there's any questions, inshallah Taala, we can take some questions. Um, otherwise, what we will do is conclude for today, and then inshallah Taala, next week we'll do the other special with how those six sciences kind of interrelate with one another, how they are connected to one another. And we'll do it, inshallah ta'ala, similar to today in like in, in, in hopefully a semi-practical way so that you can see how it works. Um, and then, inshallah ta'ala, um, you know, if you have any questions with regards to today's lesson or, or even next week's lesson, that's something that we can look into as well, bithnillahi ta'ala. Okay, so... Um, I can't see any questions on the chat. Um, so, okay. So, therefore, inshallah ta'ala, I think we'll stop for today. And hopefully I will see you again next week. Barakallahu feekum. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa sallamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.